0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. And if you would, please take out the Word of God and turn in it in the Old Testament to the book of 1 Chronicles Chapter number 29, 1 Chronicles. You have 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. You can get to those books, you'll find 1 Chronicles 29. You know, in Oklahoma, we live in storm country. And just this past week, on Wednesday, we had a storm come through in the early morning hours. It dropped 1.4 inches of rain in my backyard. And we know that it had straight line winds that were very strong with gusts to in the mid-50s. In fact, if you lived in parts of Texas, it would have been gusts to 79 miles an hour. And of course, fences went down and some poles went down and some trees went down. And, and in Tecumseh, at the Love's Country Store there, the canopy that was over their, their gas pumps also got knocked down by the wind. And even though that was a storm, we know we're just now entering the storm season in Oklahoma, and we are really the storm capital of the world. You know, Norman is the home to the National Severe Storms Laboratory. Why is that? You ever think about that? We are number one when it comes to tornadoes. In fact, we are far ahead of number two, which is the state of Mississippi. Now... Which state is the state that has the least tornadoes in it? You know? Several people said it. It's Alaska. So if you don't like tornadoes, we have a place that you can go (laughs) called Alaska. And you probably will never see one there. So today what we want to talk about is we want to talk about facing storms. And as disturbing and as disorienting as weather storms can be for us, I want to talk about a different kind of storms. I want to talk about facing life storms. You know, we live in this life in a storm world. And life storms can come at us with different flavors and different forms. Sometimes the life storm is a life storm of illness. Several have experienced that just recently as we've gone through the flu season. Some of you are maybe still suffering or you have families that are still suffering from that Or maybe it's a respiratory virus. I had a pretty wicked one just a few weeks back. Maybe the illness storm that comes into our life is the big C, the cancer storm that comes our way, which I've battled now two times and just missed battling it a third time. Some of you are facing that big C storm right now, maybe not in your own life, but maybe in the life of a loved one. Life storms come in all forms. Sometimes they look like intense pressure that comes to us at work. Sometimes it's having to go through finals at school. Sometimes it's struggles with our children. Sometimes it's a lost job or a significant financial issue that we're having. Sometimes the life storm is a relational conflict. Sometimes it's we have been criticized or hurt. All of us can identify with the storms of life. And as they come upon us, especially when they're a little deeper and a little darker, they often leave us reeling. You ever had this thought? God, why is all this happening to me at once? Why is it just wave after wave after wave of things coming at me? Or maybe you've had this response. Lord, why Does it have to be such a strong storm? Couldn't it be a weaker one? You know, if you're not in the midst of a life storm now, you will be later, right? And so what we need, whether we need it right now or we need it next week, is we need some perspective. We need a plan. Those of you who have lived in Oklahoma for a while know that in tornado country, they say we should have a storm plan. And they tell us there are some things that we need to remember. For example, stay away from windows. And there are some key responses that we are to have. For example, seek shelter quickly. You know, don't get caught in your car out in the storm. And since we live in a storm world, and since we all experience life storms, I think we need to talk about, as we face these life storms, a Storm survival plan for a life storm. So, one question we should ask as a life storm comes upon us is what should we remember? Second thing we should have as part of our plan is how should we respond? And I'm going to draw out three points in each of those two questions. What should we remember when a life storm comes upon us? And secondly, how should we respond? Now, what I'm going to be sharing today, these biblical principles are universal principles. They will apply whether the life storm is a financial life storm or a relational life storm or a vocational life storm or a medical life storm or a circumstantial life storm or an educational life storm or a spiritual life storm. These principles apply in all cases. And I would encourage you to write these down. Don't just hear them and let them drift out the other ear. You might want to write these down in your Bible. If you take notes on your phone, you might want to write it in a particular area on your phone. Because here's what happens. Frequently, when a life storm comes upon us, the first thing we do is we begin by forgetting. And we don't want to do that. So... The first thing we want to look at is what should we remember as part of our life storm plan? Here's the first thing we should remember. God is sovereign and in control. It's the first thing we need to remember. And from First Chronicles chapter 29, I want to read verses 10 to 13. Now, David is talking to the Lord. He's excited that they've been able to gather together some of these supplies in order for Solomon to build the temple. But I want you to notice about what David says about God being sovereign and in control here. Verse 10, so David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Notice his whole idea of the sovereignty of God here. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. David said, one thing I know, God is sovereign and he is in control. And we have that perspective shared not only by the king of Israel, David, we have it shared with us by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says. He says, of God, he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Just as David was saying, Nebuchadnezzar says, God is sovereign and in control. He is large and he is in charge. Now we're going to be looking at several different passages today, so I hope your fingers are limbered up. We're going to be going back and forth a little bit. So the first thing I want us to do is turn in the New Testament to the book of Romans and chapter number 8, and we're going to look at a very familiar verse to most of us, which is verse 28 of Romans 8. Now, as you're turning there, I want to remind you that the context of Romans eight twenty-eight is a context of suffering. In verse 18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we're in this kind of a context of life storm issues and we come to verse 28. And the Apostle Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So let's look back at the verse. He says, we know... We don't wish, we don't hope, we don't speculate. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. He is causing it, He is actively, intimately involved in what? All things. He is causing all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And the good we learn from verse 29 that he's speaking of, working everything towards good, is working towards conformity to the person of Christ, which he has a lot of work to do with me to get me there. But that's the good. We know that God causes all things to work together. Now in that phrase, all things, what's left out? Any of the events in your life or mine in the last days, in the last weeks? How about any unfair treatment that you may have received from a business associate? Would that be left out of all things? How about struggles with our children? How about a false accusation that someone made against me? How about the news of a life-threatening disease? Is that outside of all things? How about any storm that might come in the weeks or the months ahead. You see, God is sovereign, and he is in control. You know, one person who came to embrace that truth that we're very familiar with is also found in the Old Testament. His name is Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph. And Joseph, even though he had not done anything significantly wrong, was forcibly sold into slavery by his brothers, carted off to a foreign land. If you track his story, you remember some of the other things that happened to him. He is falsely accused of rape by his boss's wife. He ends up being falsely imprisoned. And if you follow the story all the way through, you'll know that he rises up to be the number two guy in the Egyptian government. And guess who shows up in town? The brothers that had sold him into slavery. What were the first words practically out of his mouth? To his brothers, you meant it for evil against me, but here it comes, but God meant it for good. Translation, God is sovereign and in control. And while you meant it for evil against me, God meant it for good. He was working in all things. Even, it's amazing to me, even when the intent aimed in our direction was evil, God was still at work. I love the way that Alan Redpath just capsulizes all this. He says this, there is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until first of all, it has gone past God, that is the Father, and past Christ right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. Is that not true? How many times have we been there? I may not understand it at the moment, but I refuse to become panicky as I lift my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart. God is sovereign and in control is what he's saying. No sorrow will ever disturb me. No trial will ever alarm me. No circumstance will cause me to fret. For I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is. What is he? He is sovereign and he is in control. So when the life storm comes, what should we remember? Number one, God is sovereign and in control. Number two, we need to remember that trials and adversity are normal. Trials and adversity are normal. Someone said this a number of years ago. A Christian is like a tea bag; They're just not much good until they've gone through hot water. There's a lot of truth in that picture, isn't it? And we need to remember that trials and adversity are normal. It's part of God's plan for us in our life. And you know, the New Testament apostles stressed this over and over again as they were teaching the new converts to Christ. In Acts 14, 22, as Barnabas and Paul were strengthening the souls of the disciples, how were they doing that? It says, they were saying to them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Translation, you need to understand that trials and adversity are normal. Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. He is writing to those believers, and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. Don't be surprised by the life storm that shows up as though some strange thing were happening to you. Why would he say that? Because trials and adversity are, are normal. Another passage I want you to turn to is 1 Thessalonians Chapter number three, it's to the right in your Bible, First Thessalonians chapter number three, and I want to read there from verses two to four. So 1 Thessalonians three, two to four. In verse two, Paul writes this. He said, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. In the words, Paul sent to Thessalonica Timothy. Why did he send Timothy. In a part of verse 2, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Why did they need to be strengthened and encouraged as to their faith? Well, he goes on in verse 3, he says, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this, for indeed while we were with you, as Paul was present in Thessalonica, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know very interesting language that he uses here. He said, I I, I was sending Timothy so that he might strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed. We could translate that word shaken. So that no one would be disturbed or shaken by these afflictions. Very colorful word here for afflictions. It's a word that means to be pressed in upon. You ever feel that way in life where it's just pressing in on us. That's the picture. He says, when the storms are pressing in on you, I don't want anybody to be disturbed. I don't want anybody to be shaken. For he says, you yourselves know. How would they know that? Because Paul was teaching them that, that we have been destined for this. We have been appointed to this. It's really what he was saying. In fact, he says, indeed, when we were with you, we kept on telling you. The idea is we repeatedly were telling you, we were repeatedly telling you, trials and adversity are normal. Trials and adversity are normal. They are normal. And men and women, this, this is something that's very important. We need to take care. You know, as we share the gospel... With people, And I've often said, knowing you are forgiven is the most wonderful thing in the world, and it really is true. But as we share the gospel with people, and people come to know Christ, we need to be careful that we do not imply that when you come to know Jesus, life will be good. Life will be smooth as silk. We need to be careful about that. We need to be careful about that when we're discipling other people. We need to be careful about that when we're discipling our own children. Because if they don't understand that trials and adversity are normal, they will tend to be steamrolled by the storm that comes in their life. And when they know that trials and adversity are normal, it helps them to avoid having what I call a spiritual collapse. That's where you just go, I don't know what's going on. I just never... And they just sort of, you know, want to throw themselves down on the ground. Trials and adversity are normal. Another passage I want to look at very quickly is found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 13. It's another verse that is familiar to many of us. It begins by saying, chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you. By that way... By the way, that word temptation is also the same word for testing. Same word can be translated either way, temptation or testing. It says, no temptation or no testing has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able, but with the temptation or the testing will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Now, there's a lot in this verse, but I want to pull out two facets of normality that we need to, we need to get a grip on. The first facet of normality when we say that trials and adversity are normal is that they're not unique. The temptation or the testing that comes to us is is not unique. Now, the details will vary, but the testing that we experience when a life storm comes our way is a very common thing. And it's important to understand that because it helps us to avoid what I like to call the Elijah syndrome. The Elijah syndrome is is when you're talking to God and you're saying, I'm the only one. Why am I experiencing this? And the key facet of normality we need to get a grip on is what we experience is not unique. It's common. Other people experience it. But the second facet of normality that I want us to draw from here that is so important is that the testing, the temptation... Is carefully calibrated by God. No temptation testing has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able, but with the temptation or the testing will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. This idea that these normal trials and adversity are carefully calibrated, goes back to the fact that God is sovereign and in control. He will not allow us to experience something that is beyond our ability to endure. You know, Charles Spurgeon summarizes this principle of careful calibration so well. I want to read it to you. Notice what he says. He says, in all sickness, the Lord says to the waves of pain... This far shall you go, but no further. Wisdom hangs up the thermometer at the furnace mouth and regulates the heat. The limit, he says, is encouragingly comprehensive. The God of providence has limited the time, manner, intensity, repetition, and effect of all our sicknesses. Each throb is decreed, each sleepless hour predestinated, each relapse ordained each depression of spirit foreknown and each sanctifying result eternally purposed and oh i love i love these next words by spurgeon he says nothing great or small escapes the ordaining hand of him who numbers the hairs on our head now look at that again let that sink in Nothing great or small escapes the ordaining hand of him who numbers the hairs on our head. He goes on to write, This limit is wisely adjusted to our strength, to the end designed, and to the grace apportioned. Affliction comes not haphazardly. The weight of every stroke of the rod is measured. He who made no mistakes in balancing the clouds and measuring out the heavens... Commits no errors in measuring out the ingredients which compose the medicine of souls. And then he concludes by saying, We cannot suffer too much nor be relieved too late. The limit is tenderly appointed. The knife of the heavenly surgeon never cuts deeper than is absolutely necessary. Now, when he says that, it doesn't mean that the storms of life are not hard. It doesn't mean that they're not difficult. It just means that they're never beyond our ability to endure them. So what is our life storm plan? What should we remember? Number one, that God is sovereign and in control. Number two, that trials and adversity are normal. Number three, we should remember that trials and adversity are part of God's molding process. See, so the truth of the matter is not that I just come to Christ, but his plan is he wants to Educate us, and he does that by putting us in the school of adversity. And every one of us are enrolled in that school. It was kind of interesting. Week, you know, had about a week ago, I woke up and I had this really sore, stiff neck, and, and I thought I got over it, but then as the week went along, it got a whole lot worse. It's really been just irritating me. In fact, I'm I'm really struggling with it even this morning. And and then, the other thing that was going on is, you know, suddenly my my computer, I know you've never heard of this before, but my computer completely messed up, right? And I've had to operate it in safe mode, which means you can't do much of anything with it. It's still in safe mode over there in my office. And then I'm working on the slides, you know, for today. And and I got a little more than halfway through, and suddenly PowerPoint just decided to corrupt all of them. And I'm sitting there going, What in the world is going on, Lord? And it was kind of, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I get it. I'm going to be speaking on life storms. I understand, Lord. I, I understand what you're doing. You want me to kind of practice what I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. See, it's not the fickle hand of fate. God doesn't bring life storms into our life, whether they're small ones or big ones, to devastate or discourage us. He brings them to develop us, to mold us into the image of His Son. Remember, that's the good from Romans 8 being conformed to Jesus. I want to go back to another passage in the New Testament that's familiar to many of us, James chapter one. Go with me to James chapter one, verses two to four. James one, two to four. And I'll just read verses two to four. We're familiar with this passage, most of us. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know that there's some fruit that God wants in our life that only comes from the tree of adversity? comes no other way. You know, when you you see these three verses here, there is a key word I want to zoom in on for a moment. It's in verse three. It's the word in the New American Standard, endurance. If you have an NIV, it says perseverance. If you have a New King James, it says patience. If you have an ESV, it says steadfastness. Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Endurance. It's the word in the original language, hupa mane. It's one of my favorite words in the New Testament. H U P O M O N E. You can translate it steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. What it means is staying power. It, it, It literally means the ability to remain under that pressure that's coming on us. It's the ability hupomene is to hang in there and carry the load without collapsing. Mene really is a description of spiritual toughness. It's a description of spiritual tenacity. And the amazing thing is that the ability to endure is developed by the process of enduring. That's how we get there. In fact, in verse 4, it says, let endurance, that's our word, hoopamene have its perfect result. The ESV says, let it have its full effect. The NIV says, let it finish her work. The idea is, let it accomplish its goal, which is to make us more complete and more mature. We've had a lot of news recently about things going on with airplanes, and you know, when American Airlines trains their pilots, the way that you train pilots is that you first put them in a simulator uh, that's designed to present a variety of problems to them, and what they do is they start off testing their pilots with simple problems first. You know, you don't start off, whoa, the wing fell off, what do you do now? You don't begin there, you won't have any pilots who want to hang around, But they start off with simple problems, and they slowly build up the problems and give them more difficult problems. And as they master the previous problems, they become face-to-face with other problems that are more significant. And when they complete the course, guess what happens? The pilots are fully prepared. They're mature pilots who are ready to handle any problem that comes their way. God does much the same thing for us. See, when God brings a life storm, it's not to sap our spiritual strength. It's to develop our spiritual strength. So what should we remember? Number one, God is sovereign and in control. Number two, trials and adversity are normal. They're carefully calibrated because he's sovereign and in control. And then trials and adversity are part of God's molding process. Now, why are those things so important to remember? Without remembering that, when the storm comes, there can be panic and fear. We can start complaining and having some anger at God. There can be discouragement. There can be anxiety and depression. We need to remember those three things. But remembering those three things, then how should we respond? We're going to cover these real quickly. The first response we should have as we remember those three, three things is faith and trust in God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful, Paul wrote there. We can rely on his character. We can rely on his faithfulness. In Psalm 46, verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And I love the way the margin of the New American Standard reads. It says, he is abundantly available for help in tight places. I've been in tight places. And you've been in tight places, and you will be in tight places. And we need to trust Him. Second response is to rejoice and give thanks. This is counterintuitive to us. You know, James and James 1 said, consider it all joy. You know, we're to adopt a certain attitude, but there's a pivotal word that appears in James 1 we're to consider it all joy, knowing there's a plan, knowing there's a purpose. Paul says the same thing, basically, in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. That's our word, hoopamene, again. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. He has a plan. He has a purpose in all of this. And when we rejoice and give thanks, it means that our attitude to God is not, why did that happen? Why is that happening to me? Why is that happening now? Because, you see, when we do that, we're calling God to account. It means rather, when we have that attitude, we're saying to God, how do you want me to grow through this storm? How do you want me to honor you through this storm? What do you want to teach me through this storm? I've been so grateful with some of these big storms I've been in that I have been taught some of these principles. So rather than waving my finger at God, I've been able to say, by faith, what do you want me to learn How do you want me to honor you? What do you want to teach me? How can I rejoice in your plan? Third way that we can respond then is not only faith and trust and rejoice and give thanks, but to draw upon his strength. That's what we really need to do. Because we can't handle it ourselves. Remember how in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul is dealing, we don't know exactly some sort of a physical issue in his life, a physical storm, a health storm. He called it the thorn in the flesh, and he even says to God, would you please take this away from me? And God says, not going to do it. But my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. I will give you grace for whatever place I put you in. See, see we're never supposed to go it alone in our own strength. We need to be able to say, as I did many a times, I could tell you how many times I would say, said, God, I'm, I'm counting on your promise to me. I'm counting on it. See why we need to write these things down? Now, as we close, I want to say a couple things real quick. This life storm survival plan I have been sharing is for those who personally know Jesus as their rescuer. I don't know everybody here, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're here without Christ, I want to say this to you about life storms God will use trials and problems and difficulty in the life of someone who does not know Him to manifest their need of Him. He never designed us to trudge through life alone. And if you don't know Him, I just want you to know that He desires to become your refuge. And when we turn by faith to Christ in what he did on the cross and dying for us and earning forgiveness for us, one of the things he does is he sends to us the comforter, the spirit of God who takes up residence on the interior, who becomes the source of our ability to work through many of these storms. So I just want you to think about that. I don't know where God may be in working in your life. There was a song a number of years ago I loved so much. I still love this song. It's by Andre Crouch. It's entitled Through It All. And I just want to recite the lyrics to you. Andre writes these words. He says, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. I've been to lots of places. I've seen a lot of faces. There's been times I felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know that I am his own I thank God for the mountains, and I thank him for the valleys, and I thank him for the storms he brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word. We know that life storms come our way. Some who are in the middle of it right now, I pray you would encourage their hearts. I pray you would help us to remember the things we need to remember and to respond in a way that is honoring to the Savior who bled and died for us. Work in our life so that our response can give glory and honor to the person of Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.